I need staff. Hey, it's Jason Bryden. Welcome to the Bold Acting Podcast, Episode 6. Don't forget to sign up for the Substack. You can find that at boldacting.substack.com. That's a weekly newsletter that comes out every Sunday. It's about a five-minute read. Also, right there in the email, right on top of the newsletter, is the voiceover where I read to you. So you can do other stuff. You can keep cooking dinner, and I'll be in your kitchen or in the tub or wherever. I'm not going to go through the list of possibilities. Uh, the newsletter, that's at boldacting.substack.com. And thanks again for rating and reviewing this podcast. It goes a long way to getting the word out. And don't forget, if you're in Toronto, drop by uh, 48 Cothra Avenue in the junction right near LA Fitness and the Organic Garage and Stereo Coffee, the world's greatest coffee. That's where I teach every Sunday's 5 to 8 my drop-in class, the Work It Weekly, the Sunday School. It's got a lot of different names. It's only 20 bucks. It's more than just an acting class. You don't have to be an actor. I will teach you performance technique. I'd love to meet you. For more information, go to boldacting.com. In class on Sunday, I was, as usual, so impressed by the youngins. I mean, all this hand-wringing, around the subsequent generations. I just haven't seen it yet. Sure, there were a lot of mustaches and artisanal pickles a few years back, but th this new crop of humans, the, the Gen Zers, is that wrong? Am I pushing my Canadian content there? Gen Zers? Whatever. Uh, I really like them. I sometimes wonder if the news and reality aren't always the same thing. You know what I mean? Like the pipeline of sadness is framed by that outer edge of your TV your, or your podcast delivery service. If you're under 12 and over 70, you get it on your iPad while you're sitting out in front of the mall timmies. Wherever you are, the real-life experience thus far remains preferable to the online one. Online, we learn about people that we're not supposed to like. Online, we're, we're, we, we roll our eyes at uh, kids these days. Online, we think everything is terrible. It's the same old saw. You've heard it a million times. The news is made up of, if it bleeds, it leads. And I just think we should stop paying attention so much. I was talking to my brother earlier today, and uh, I live in Ontario, and he was telling me about how it's really smoky here right now because of the wildfires in Ontario and Quebec. Uh, and he was telling me about why, and that it's international news. It Does it, uh, w w will the wildfires increase if I'm not aware of it? Do I need to know every little single thing about which group of people we're angry at now? Or, or, or what horrible situation is going on over here? I don't think it helps. This isn't new news, is it? It's not exactly a revelatory opening, but I just think it bears repeating. Anything that is uh, framed um, by like a glowing Apple icon or the likes, we should be suspicious of when it comes to our peace of mind and our happiness. Okay, that's all I'm trying to say. Okay. And I was reminded once again in class that people are incredible. And this is so much fun being around young people. 
And I'm just thankful for that. And you should be celebrating me because I'm cynical and cranky normally. So I just say again, put thy phone down, connect with the people. We don't look at each other anymore. We don't stand around and connect. But when you do, when you're forced to do it, man, it is a, it's a, well, it's a weird feeling now that it's rarer, you know, when you're actually looking someone in the eyes. It's like, holy shit, I'm looking at somebody. When was the last time you talked to a stranger? In class, it was 220-somethings, and they were doing a scene from Triangle of Sadness, which if you haven't seen it, uh, it's so good. Just watch the first scene between a man and a woman, uh, Yaya and Carl in a restaurant, and how they behave when the bill hits the tablecloth. It suddenly becomes a documentary of all of our lives. It's an incredible scene, and it goes on. The director-writer won Ruben Ostland doesn't let the scene die when the bill is paid. The argument o- o- over who should pay goes on into the car, the elevator, the hotel, or the apartment, or whatever. A friend of mine said he hasn't watched the whole film yet because he couldn't get past the first scene uh, because it was it cut too close to the bone. It was too much like his life. And that is why, as usual, it's something to examine. Not just this relational adversity, but the actual real-life complications and how we can maneuver through them. Because like COVID or HPV or Ed Sheeran's insipid polluting of the musical landscape, people arguing over money will never end. Preet, ben, uh, Preet Banjari. Preet Banjari? Should have looked that up. Not going to. Preet Banjari is a financial advisor that has, he's got a podcast and um, other entrepreneurial endeavors that I don't understand. And I heard him talk on Peter Mansbridge's gasping podcast with the unlikely title of The Bridge. And he said something strange that caught my attention. He said it in passing. He said that he rents and doesn't own. And he's a financial wizard. And that it had, it, that it had served him very well. Coming from a published financial uh, brainiac, this was enough for me to look him up and low on his website. He had a Calendly page from which I could book a 30-minute call with him, which surprised me. Access to people these days is incredible. After the call, I got his book from the library. Because I break out in hives when I have to deal with money or pages with numbers on them, anything to do with banking. But I can't be the only one. As I've said before, I, you know, I shouldn't have... Okay, I'm going on on a tangent here a bit. Not really. I, I shouldn't have gone to university. And a woman in class on Sunday said the same thing. My ex will say the same thing if you ask her. If you ask her. Out of all the people in my graduating class from University at Calgary Drama Department, I think only three of us are actually still acting. I certainly won't encourage my kids to get into debt over a degree mill. University didn't make me a better actor, nor did it prepare me for the real world. I needed a bit more aptitude testing. I needed more guidance, not just this blind faith in an ancient infrastructure that we enter into without thought, you know, like marriage. What am I getting at here? I should have taken acting classes if I wanted to be a better actor. And personal finance classes. 
And that's what I'm doing now. That's what many of us, not just performers, need. We need to learn how to get a day job that won't destroy our souls. We need to learn how to pay taxes. When you do finally get an acting gig, you get this big chunk of money. Or at least you used to. But no one from university told me you first have to remit your HST or the CRA will come and break your legs. And that's only partially uh, a metaphor. That's their money. Then you need to pay the base income tax rate of 30% in, in this country minus your business expenses. Why didn't anyone tell me about this stuff? Why did I spend so much time learning about the history of Canadian theater? Why hasn't anyone asked to see my Bachelor of Fine Arts? My ex and I, like most people, fought about money more than anything else. I finally adopted an MO of don't say, just pay. It was a very expensive strategy, but we didn't fight about money anymore. Our modern, capitalistic, city-centric society requires us to be far more savvy with money than they're teaching our kids. Far more savvy than many of us want to be. But this doesn't mean we need more crypto bros. No, we need less of them, obviously. We need more artists. Artists who know stuff. I mean, it's the bros that got us into this mess, and it's not the bros that will get us out. We need a difference in perception and a difference in priorities. Here's what I'm talking about. We need artists that know the difference between a TFSA and a T183. And don't start stress hiccuping every time they open their online banking. Like me. Silicon Valley is not making heroes. Despite our desire to run away from this mess, no one is going to Mars, Elon. And as usual, the American nightmare dictates if we chase market cap and take ice baths, we'll be successful too. But it's a lie. We're focusing on the few, the lucky, the pathological. What if we held up artists as our inspiration? After all, we're artists. How does the creative class successfully maneuver this world of ours? Three of my favorite artists are Carrie Fagan, a writer from Toronto that puts out thin, delightful, thoughtful, meaningful books every couple of years, no matter what. He also teaches. His, two of my favorite books are the, of his, The Animals and um, The Student. So good. This man is doing exactly what he wants and staying afloat. He's living by example. Another one, Chris Cran, an artist from Calgary I've long admired, makes his singular art year in, year out. I think he teaches too. I don't know. He's an example that would serve. He should have a podcast. He could be a hero. Not hero, hero. Not American hero. But, you know, just somebody to admire, to, 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 to um, track, to emulate, rather than the psychopaths that are billionaires. What about Buffy St. Marie? Still going in her 80s. A Cree woman. Has an Academy Award. Dozens of albums. Published, is a published author. Has a career that spans more than 50 years. That is someone to emulate. Not a psychopath from a valley in California. There are plenty of these people out there that we can hang our devotion on if you're in need. You know, if G's don't do it for you. 
but just don't replace religion with tech megalomaniacs. They'll disappoint you every time. Not Peter Thiel that destroyed a media company for outing him by using an unwitting wrestler as his pawn. Only in America. Not Elon, whose horrible behavior is constantly being excused because we're hoping he'll save planet Earth. And not Steve Jobs, made the ultimate martyr through death. My solution is, is to get in touch with your fellow creatives. The ones that are making stuff that that doesn't happen to make them a billion doll hairs. Why is that the yardstick we so desperately cling to? Listen to podcasts like Between the Covers from Tin House Books. That is a great antidote to the news, especially the episodes on poetry. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not good at poetry. I'm not good at reading poetry or listening to it. That's why it's good. Just give it a minute. It'll rewire your brain. Or listen to Writers and Company with the world's greatest interviewer, Eleanor Wachtel. Seriously, she is, if you want to learn how to talk to somebody on air, you got to listen to Eleanor Wachtel. She's better than anyone else. Eleanor Wachtel on Writers and Company. Seriously, I'm not exaggerating. She's also retiring the show this year, so get after it. Or listen to the Music Buddy podcast for the best in CanCon. These are your people. Not, not um, putting celebrity and a ton of money up on a pedestal. That's not working for you. It's hurting you. You are in a state of constant want, and I want it to end. I don't even like the idea of heroes. One person can't save us all. Just like I think happiness is overrated. But instead, find a community of like-minded people that you can collaborate with. That is the key to leading a fulfilling life and modeling that behavior for your children and others. Oh, I'm in a mood. And you know what? That reminds me uh, priorities. Someone was talking about networking the other. No, it was in a book. Networking. They were golfing to network. Why? Does that really still work? Is it still the 1950s in some industries? No. No, stop it. Don't network. Network with trees first. Not with people. The way you generate opportunities in my industry is by making stuff and doing great work. The way you make something great is by practicing. You've got to start making bad stuff and then get better at it. You can't stop. Plus, that's where you scratch your creative itch. That's where you find your people. That's where you find the people that you're going to have sex with. That's where you find the people that you're going to have long, rewarding, rich relationships You've got to get out there, all right? Turn that phone around and use the camera app on it and forget about everything else. And don't worry about if it's good or not. It's not about being good. It's about doing it over and over and over again. You know what else you do when you're just making stuff? Whatever it is, I always use acting and making uh, films the example but it's whatever it is it's then you're not waiting for that phone to ring then you're not comparing yourself to others on instagram or whatever your chosen 
comparison vehicle is. It's quantity over quality in the beginning. And for some of us, in the middle too. Talking about me. Networking is a lateral move made out of fear. No one is critiquing networking except me. Like people are ready to pick you apart the minute you create something and put it out there for consumption. But put it, put it out there, you must. An audience is a thing a performer requires. It's a part of the job description. Whereas networking is for people that wear em- embossed puffer vests and chinos. No more embossed puffer vests, okay? Just stop. Class emulates real life. Class emulates performance. Class is how you mitigate risk. You pay somebody to help you mitigate risk, to, uh, make, to make this risk you're about to take more valid. Oh, I'm just going to class. It's no big deal. I'm not actually becoming a stand-up comedian. No, no, I'm just going to class. I'm not, I'm not ditching everything and, and learning how to throw clay. Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to class. I'm not really going to become a singer. But you are, and you will. You'll get into class, and you'll go, and you'll see the people, and you'll get this fire in your belly. So if you don't want to make something yourself, get into a class. It doesn't have to be mine. Just get into a class and feel that fire. Meet those people. Find that thing. You don't have to blow up your life either. It doesn't have to be your do-or-die equation. Things are really bad these days in my industry, and so I want to spread the good word that it is quite possible and honorable to find something to do during the day that isn't so fucking stressful as this. I've always said that um, this dream, this dream of being a performer does not let go lightly. But I think it's time for many of us to do just that. That might be where I'm going. It's really scary. But such is life. And as usual, it's the scary things that we should really slow down and examine. I know, revelatory, right? It's time to answer some questions. Hello, Jason. This is Peter in London. Um, And my question is about getting back. So I've, I've been working in the corporate world for many years now and I originally trained as an actor and I would be curious to hear your thoughts on how to get back in. Love the show. Thanks so much. Bye, Jason. I think this is such a good idea for, um, I don't know how old you are, but mature people, mature students, get back into it. So you've got a corporate job or um, you've got a pension or you've got some sort of nest egg. You're not doing this for money. This already gives you a leg up. You, you can audition and you don't give a shit about it. You'll do the audition and then you'll forget about it. Plus, you've got that gravitas. If you're anything like me, you've been through a ringer or two in your life. And this is the meat of the matter. This is what, this is what art is all about. You know, that's why uh, ancient Chinese silk painters, they don't even start until they're 50 because you have nothing to paint until you've lived a life. 
So you've got those things going for you. So get back into class. That's how you start. Then you start doing fringe shows or the likes. That's how you get agents to notice you because they'll come to those shows, but only the young, hungry agents. The point is, is that you're going to do all this stuff in your spare time, which really mitigates how much energy you can put into it. That is also a great thing. You're going to choose wisely the things you want to do for free and the things that you just say, no, it's too much. When I was young, I said yes to everything, which was exactly right. You say yes to everything and you end up doing a lot of shit for free. And you learn a lot about human beings and yourself. You practice your craft. You disappoint people. You chalk up lots of experience. You're going about it in a different way. You have experience so much that your emotional well is full, but you don't have that practical experience. So know that you're going to learn about 10 times faster than somebody much younger than you, but also know that you won't have the energy to hustle like they do. As long as you're enjoying it, you keep doing it. That's the only measurement that matters. Good luck to you, Peter. Uh, you're in one of the world's greatest cities. I think actually my favorite of all of them. I mean, what a great place to embark and to maybe reunite with some of your old school pals and meet new pals. I mean, even if the roof falls in and you know, and you and you never get an agent and you get sick of flyering the fringe and everybody's half or a third of your age and it's incredibly humbling. You get to be around all that energy, all those young people. You get to feel the fucking fear of God as you wait in the wings and go back out on that stage. That is living. That is living. Not life in the corporate world. Okay, maybe that's one kind of living, but but you're. I'm jealous of you, Peter. You're about to get out there into something new, and I think it'll be incredibly rewarding. Hi there. Um, I'm calling in from Vancouver. Um, just want to say great show. Love, love listening and the insights and the advice sharing and opinions and uh, the funniness is um, awesome. I, uh, I'm not going to say my name because I think what I'm going to ask might be controversial. I don't know. It's a crazy world we're in. But um, I am a union member and uh, a lot of younger actors are asking me whether or not I should join the union. And I'm never really sure what to say. And I was wondering what your thoughts are. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Anonymous in Vancouver. That's a great question. A question that I get to from young people. Should I join the union? First of all, um, does the union make it easy enough for you to join? It should be 50 bucks and a handshake to join the union. Not six credits or whatever. All this shit. All these dues and... Having said that, the union, even though they are highly flawed, is always better for a worker than not having a union. Can you imagine you're working in a factory, right? You get uh, benefits, safety concerns, a weekend. Um, You get an hourly wage that isn't a minimum wage. You get uh, vacation days, sick days. Uh, There are scholarships for your kids. Uh, There's retirement packages, All that is brought to you by a union. Okay, now take away the union. What do you think management, the owners, are going to do for you? 
Do you think they're going to do all that stuff just out of the kindness of their own hearts? I don't think the, that I don't think that's the way uh, the corporatocracy has ever worked. And I'd be really fucking surprised if all of a sudden they were like, "Oh yeah, hey, no, no, it'll be just as good without the union." I mean, so so, so right there. The reason to join a union is because the definition of a union versus the behavioral patterns of the corporatocracy. I mean, wh- how much more evidence do you require? So that's the first thing. Let me run down some examples of what I got paid when I did commercials, okay? Because th- those seem to be over for me now, which is fine. It was a good run. I paid for everything and didn't have a day job for 20 years. And that was because of my union and the amount of commercials that I booked. I would make between 150 and 250 grand a year, just working two or three weeks a year. That's because of residuals. That's because of my union. All right, there is not a producer, an ad agency, a production company on earth that will that will willingly pay that kind of money to use my image. Now, back in the good old days, residuals, and I think they still are, technically. It's just that it's just that everything's up in the air now, okay? So I'm not an expert at this, but it, usage fees used to be bought in 13-week cycles, okay? They, so they would pay money. So you get your day rate, which was just the beginning. You get paid that whatever it was, $2,000 or whatever to show up. Then you get, because of the union, you get overtime, you get meal penalties. Um, if you have to drive far away, you get paid for that. If you, There are travel days if you have to fly. There's a hotel, there's a per diem. All that is taken care of. Management will never give that to you without there being a union contract between them and the signatories. So after the 13-week cycle, then there's hold payments. If they don't air the commercial, but they want to air it again, they have to hold for a time. They also have to pay if they recut a commercial uh, and use your likeness again in it, or using your likeness in print, or using your likeness online. Now, slowly, over the years, our union has allowed many a concession So wages are getting worse and worse and worse. I haven't had a raise since 2001. Uh, September 11th, 2001, I got my first, it wasn't, by far it wasn't my first commercial, it wasn't my first acting gig at all. But that was a big one. That was the one that bought me a condo in Vancouver. And I haven't gotten a raise since. In fact, payment keeps going down and it keeps getting worse but i still tell people young actors join your union and i'm going to do my utmost to make it easier for you to join by keeping the pressure on and by being uh, an activist member of my union because it's very important you can only get benefit the only reason my kids have braces is because of my union The only reason that I have a house is because of my union. You will never get that without it. So I know that there are a lot of actors out there, young and even my age, who are steadfastly against the union. They work all the time. That's fine. You do that for a while. It is not a plan. It is not a career. There is no safety net. 
in a country built on safety nets. You are shooting yourself and your children and your spouse in the foot uh, if you don't fight for this for, for our union, if you aren't a union member. Look, it's just called workers' rights. That's all it is. It didn't used to exist. And we were uh, gypsies, and we were whores, and we were lowest of the low, and we have climbed our way up to respectability, to craftspeople, to artisans. And so if you want to be paid your worth, you join the union, warts and all, and you fight to make it better. Thanks again, Anonymous. Uh, Good luck out there in Vancouver. I know it's kind of the Wild West. This is Linda from Seattle calling. Uh, I'm an actress based in Seattle. I do a lot of theater and the odd film and TV audition. And with the industry as it is right now, curious as to how to keep positive. Oh, sorry, those are my dogs. Um, I'm also a single parent. So how to keep positive and the workflow going when even theater is is difficult right now and juggling another job. Any advice would be great just how to keep positive and how to, you know, keep your mojo flowing. I really admire what you do. Linda from Seattle. God, I love, I love Seattle. I love your hometown and I miss it. I used to go down there. These are the highlights from Seattle. I used to perform Vancouver Theater Sports. We'd head down to um, UP, Unexpected Productions. Is that right? Is that what it's called on Stamps, Stamps Alley, the one covered in chewing gum? Is it still covered in chewing gum? And you go by the Alibi Room. Um, it's right near Pike's Place Market. Anyways, I don't need to geolocate with you here. You get it. I would go to an improv theater and they would treat us like royalty. I mean, it's true. Americans are just more friendly. They're friendlier than Canadians, that's for sure. Uh, I just love going. I loved Seattle. It's um, it was like Vancouver but American, and that's nice because it feels familiar. But then it's it's uh, it's not bigger necessarily. Is it bigger? I don't even know. But it's American, and there's a monorail, and there's Americans running around, and. Pogos with lots of mustard and cheap drinks and uh, that incredible bookstore in um, Pioneer Square. What's it called? Elderberry? Blackberry? Is it a berry? I don't know. But it's fucking huge. Um, Linda, how to stay positive. Okay, first of all, uh, forget about being positive. Now, I know that's controversial, but I don't think happiness is the target that we should be aiming for, okay? So let me just spend a minute on semantics, all right? This is what you should be going for, is peace of mind. Happiness is fleeting. It's one of these feelings we have, like anger and um, um, uh, resenting other people. Those are the feelings I have. Anger, resentment, and... Um, spurts of happiness. And I say screw it because you can't attach you, you can't attach your well-being to things that are crazy or out, of, or out of your control. So we need to attach our happiness or our peace of mind to things that, that are within our purview. Here's what you do. You get eight hours of sleep. That's your aim. That's your only goal in life, okay? 
write down eight hours of sleep as the goal, and then underneath that, write down how all the things you got to do to make sure that happens. Positivity and happiness, I don't know. If they happen, they happen. But I don't think it's something we should be chasing. Why? Those are more expectations. And the expectations just get higher and higher and higher. You get a little bit of happiness, and then you want more of the happiness. I say go for eight hours a day. Remember when you were younger? Linda, I don't know how old you are, but when I was in my 20s, I was broke. I was living in a just the shittiest apartment. I mean, it was one step up from a crack house. And I mean that literally. They did crack in the basement, just not on the floor that I lived on. I lived on a floor that was covered in, with dykes and dogs. And any time that what's-her-face upstairs um, would flush her toilet and what's-his-face above her had his sink um, plugged, it would rain sewage down into my apartment, or brown water. I don't know if it was technically sewage, but it was disgusting. But I was, uh, I had a great time. I still, I didn't have any money, but friends bought me beer. Um, I was working, uh, cleaning boats for um, $9 an hour on Granville Island. Uh, I still pulled some puss once in a while. You know, I was a young man about town figuring out my way. I was started performing at Vancouver Theatre Sports. You know, it was all starting. Remember that? Now, I'm not saying at this age I can go back to living above crackheads. I got two kids. I've become accustomed to things. However, I think sometimes we forget why we got into this business in the first place. It was to make stuff. You know, no one's wired up to, um, as little kids, to be a financial planner or a realtor. We all want to perform. We all have it in us. Every single one of us has put on a play as a five-year-old with our cousins. Every single one of us has played make-believe and dress-up. So, Linda, if you're still doing that, then you're doing it right. If it's become harder to do it at the level you've become accustomed to because of the decision makers, decision makers that are not within your control, then you're attaching your happiness or your peace of mind uh, to those exterior things that may not be the best uh, guideposts for you. I would suggest you... If, if you need money, you take the most direct route to it because you'll find that your shoulders will relax even if you have to do something shitty for a while. Secondly, I would do a play. If theater is your thing, I would just do one. Do one right away as quickly as possible. The lowest hanging fruit. Put one on. Get a bring-your-own venue at the Fringe. Does Seattle have a Fringe? They must. It's on the West Coast. So in review, Linda... Uh, forget about happiness. Lower your expectations. If you're suffering, you're doing it right. Life is all about how you respond to adversity. So work your ass off every single day. Get a day job if you have to. Aim for eight hours of sleep. I'm telling you, it'll change everything. Go for peace of mind, not happiness. Happiness is overrated. And now it's time for the Bold Acting Newsletter. For Sunday, June 4th, 2023. Russian in the Park. 
I run through the meadow at the top of High Park. The same meadow where in 2019 there was the world's most annoying portrait photographer. You can hear more about her in episode 15 of my To My Glorious Self podcast called Land Acknowledgement. Near where Kenneth Zeller, a high school teacher from nearby Western Tech, was murdered in 1985 by five of his students because he was gay. Every five minutes I drop and give me 15. I promise myself that I'm going to do 100 push-ups a day until I can do 200 push-ups a day. I pull over to the side of the single-track trail to let a shirtless runner, about 10 years older than me, go past in the other direction. We wave to each other. I think, man, I'd love to look as good as he does when I'm his age. It's the rearing up that hurts the ego. As I go from a plank to heaving one leg forward and underneath my chest, then pushing up with said leg to allow the other leg to follow so that I am now standing, I am keenly aware that from behind especially, it must be an awkward sight, like watching a giraffe get up for the first time. An Eastern European voice asks me how many I can do. It's the shirtless runner again from about four minutes ago. I say 15, and he says he can do 30, but not in a braggy way. He says he runs here all the time, that this park means everything to him. He lives in a two-bedroom apartment in the neighborhood abutting the park on the north side. I am Boris. I'm Jason. We shake hands. How old are you, Boris? 72. Damn, girl. I think. 72. Shit. Thought you were way younger. Boris has been in Toronto for 20 years. His son, now 35, tells him the best thing he ever did was move to Canada. Where are you from? Moscow. Up until last year, Boris wasn't so sure. His whole life was in Moscow. He had friends, an apartment, a job. He loved the city. But since the war, he thanks God he is in Canada. I don't know for sure, but I think many of us perceive this to be Russia's war, when it's not. It's Putin's war. But nuance is hard, so we paint with broad strokes. All Russians must be bad. All Russians must be anti-Ukraine. It can't be so simple. When I had my basement done late last year, it was Ukrainians and Russians that did all the work. They didn't seem to be fighting. I think that's the way they just talk. The only ones to remark on it were the Canadian HVAC guys. For Russians and Ukrainians in Canada, it must be like Americans and Canadians living abroad. If Trump invades Canada when next he's El Presidente, or a proxy even worse than the Orange Emperor, it's not suddenly America's war. We can't account for hundreds of millions of minds. Our perceptions are formed by scant headlines. We're too anxious to read down to the end of the article. I ask Boris if he's a vegetarian. No. Do you drink? No. Not for 20 years. Hmm. You came to Canada and stopped drinking. In Russia, it is tradition. Yeah, so I've heard. Do you have a pension? A small one. So he doesn't have to worry about money much. Are you married, Boris? I have wife, he says rather balefully. Married people apparently live longer. 
And yet one must ask if the goal of life is the quantity of it or the quality. Are you a good sleeper, Boris? Yes, I am asleep every night at 10 and wake up at 6. How much do you eat? I cut back. It's all about calories. And genetics only plays 15 to 20 percent of the equation, he says. I've got to get business cards, I think. I'm down near the pond now, squeezing out my last 20 push-ups that gets me to 100. I should have given Boris my number. We could run together. Or maybe just meet in the meadow and spot each other. God, he looked good for 72. He said his wife laughs at him for all of his worrying about his health. I wonder if having someone make fun of you helps in the long run, too. Last year, I was in the mix for the latest Kiefer Sutherland show. The role I was up for was a right-wing podcast host. How much fun would that be? To play a really bad, bad guy. The kind we all rail against. The unequivocal Alex Jonesy type of a-hole. There was no part of me that wouldn't want to sink my teeth into such a role. No part of me that would judge a man like that. First and foremost, the man I'd be playing is a fictional character. Secondly, it's not for me, the actor, to judge others or their ideologies. I do that plenty in real life. But when I'm acting, it isn't about real life. It's about something closer to the truth. When I acted in commercials, I never didn't love the clear hierarchy of the medium. It wasn't about the actor. It was about the beer, the car, the incontinence products, the salad dressing, the insurance... It took the pressure off. So much of my life is me focusing on myself. For a day, I got paid to focus on a bag of shredded cheese instead. What a relief. Others' perceptions is that an actor sells out when they shill. That wasn't my truth. I got to afford to be a stay-at-home dad and pay for everything. In other words, I got real lucky. I have a reason to keep running so that I might meet up with a septuagenarian from Moscow. Maybe we can go for tea, or stuff up at the rabbi across the street and pound protein bars together. Normally I spin on my spin bike in my bedroom in front of the Criterion channel. Today I did push-ups in the dirt and made a new friend. Fuck yeah. I was reminded to be thankful we are not at war. We aren't ruled by some despot. Not yet, Pierre but that we must remain vigilant. Perception are stories we choose to tell ourselves. Like that Kenneth Zeller didn't deserve to live. Like that 140 million Russians agree with their leader. Like that I'm bad at running. Actually, I really do think I am bad at it. But as long as there is a meadow there, I'm going to run through it. Every meadow needs its giraffe. Thanks for listening to the Bold Acting Podcast. And thanks for paying attention to all the things I do. I couldn't do it without you. Work It Weekly is a drop-in scene study class with me, Jason Bryden, an actor and a teacher with over 25 years experience. It's a great way to get back into class, to get coached on an audition, and to find your community. My Sunday night class is more than just about acting. Find your voice, take your space, 
Email me at jasonbryden at gmail.com or go to boldacting.com for more information. And don't forget to subscribe to my free weekly podcast, The Bold Acting Podcast. Now, more self-deprecating. I've been getting feedback that people miss my previous newsletter, Dear Diaria, and my podcast, To My Glorious Self, where I was brutally honest about everything. Well, I continue to be overwhelmingly effacing in the Bold Acting Podcast, and I tie it into my new business venture, the Bold Acting Studios. So you're getting what you loved about me, plus you're getting it with an actual point. The point is to be pointed, after all. I'm not just telling you about the hernia surgery and how it relates to the scary ghost emoji and my ex-wife, as I did in Episode 6, St. Joseph and the Coward. Now I'm telling you about my bullshit meter and how you have one too in the bullshit meter inside of you episode. You can see how I've improved. Subscribe to the Bold Acting Podcast wherever the podcasts are. And do talk me up when next your podcast club meets. In between the flagons of Pinot Grigio and the charcuterie, send a little love my way. Talk me up. Thanks again. <laughs>